This is an ABC podcast. A torturous quest for closure as today marks 10 years since a central Queensland woman was last seen alive. We're still hoping, still praying that somebody will come forward and let us know. It needs to be completely finalised because it's not for us. And the community patrol trying to turn the tide on youth crime in Carnarvon. Move them along off the streets. We'll go and hang out in the shopping centre for a bit and because they go into the shops and they steal and they're hungry. So we just explain to the kids what we're doing and if we've got a group of kids or we've got kids that need to go home, we'll ring the bus. From the bass to the Torres, straight from the source. I'm Adam Stephen and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Yudinji country. A missing young woman, a dead boyfriend, a gruesome trail, and a mother's decade-long search for the truth. Ten years ago today marks the last time Central Queensland woman Chantelle Barnett was seen alive. Her family have dealt with searches and the never-ending pain of not knowing where their daughter's body is. And Jasmine Hines shares their story. As Natalie Barnett goes about her busy shift at a Rockhampton supermarket, she spots someone that looks like her daughter. It's been 10 years since Chantelle was last seen, but still, Natalie's breath catches at the possibility it's her. I can see somebody from a distance that has the same size as her, same haircut, same walk, and my heart stops every time. You know, and then when they look around, you know it's not her. But, you know, that's what I cop every day. It's, it's hard. It's not getting any easier. It's been a harrowing decade for Chantelle's parents who still don't know what happened to their precious daughter. Well, she could be a hardhead. Um, she was a lo- you know, she loving. She'd stick up for a family no matter what. Um, and she just got mixed up in the wrong crowd, easily led. You know, but she was a good mother to her kids. In 2020, Central Coroner Magistrate David O'Connell ruled Chantelle died in March 2013, likely from a drug overdose where she voluntarily consumed the drugs, but he said there remained some uncertainty over the cause of her death. Yes, she wasn't an angel. She was a good kid, but she wasn't an angel. She did have a drug problem, but she came to me and asked for help. And I said yes. And by the time I'd said that, It was a phone call and she was gone. That was the last I seen her. It was a hard thing for me to take. I'd just come back from holidays. I got a phone call from a mate in Brisbane to say how, what's going on in Rockhampton. Your daughter's missing. I hadn't been advised. I advised myself when I went around to the house the next morning and asked what was going on. That's what happened. That's how I come to find out. Chantelle was 27 when she and her 26-year-old boyfriend, Robert Martinez, went missing. Mr Martinez's body was found near Gaviel Creek on the outskirts of Rockhampton in 2014. His remains showed no evidence of a person inflicting an injury on him. Chantelle's body has never been found, but her handbag was discovered near Mr Martinez's remains. In 2018, two men went on trial in the Supreme Court in Rockhampton, pleading not guilty to two counts of murder and two counts of interfering with a corpse. But midway through the trial, they pleaded guilty to interfering with a corpse and the murder charges were dropped, 
Glenn says his family won't have closure until Chantelle is found. It still is hard. I still have my own little tear every morning on the way to work or somewhere where I'm by myself. But I don't think, in back of my mind, I don't think there will ever be a body found. Um, whether it's been because of nature has taken the course of where she was. I know the area pretty well here. I know what happened here. The water goes through here. She could have been taken away off water. She could have even been in the creek. I don't know. No one will ever know until we, someone comes forward and says, this is what happened. During sentencing, Justice Graham Crowe said he was troubled deeply that Miss Barnett's body was not located and urged the men to think of Chantelle's family and cooperate with authorities in finding her. Every year on their daughter's birthday, Glenn and Natalie throw flowers into Gavial Creek in honour of Chantelle. You know, it's the last place they found anything of hers, so that's all we've got. We don't know whether she's even here. To be able to bring Chantelle home, to have put her somewhere where we know where she is, that's, you know, so our kids have got somewhere to go to see their mother, talk to their mother, you know, just somewhere so we can place flowers on a on a grave or something you know it's that's what we need we're still hoping still praying that somebody will come forward and let us know it needs to be completely finalized because it's not for us it never will be finalized for us we just need that closure And if this story has raised concerns for you or anyone you know, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And Jasmine Hines with that story. ABC Australia Wide. Adam Stephen with you this evening. From stolen car records being set in Cairns, the troubling scenes emerging out of Alice Springs, anti-social behaviour and youth crime have sadly been buzzwords in recent times. And while it's no different in the West, a newly formed community patrol in Carnarvon, is trying to turn the tide. Teams of two people walk the streets four nights a week, the patrol members intercepting and redirecting children away from trouble. And this story from ABC Pilbara's Rosemary Murphy and Ellie Honeybone. Kay Mongu was one of the first people to join the Carnarvon Community Patrol and talks us through the route they take. It's early evening and it's quiet around town. So we just walk up here, we go... You know, we'll walk over there on the oval. That's my phone number and everything in these shops along here. And I said, you know, if you um, get some kids that are running amok and playing up on all this and that, I said, give us a ring and we'll come. The foot patrol works in conjunction with a bus service that was established earlier by the Carnarvon Shire. Walk around the main areas of town where all the kids hang out, move them along off the streets. We'll go and hang out in the shopping centre for a bit and... Because they go into the shops and they steal and they're hungry, you know, the kids are hungry and so they just go into the shops and steal. We just explain to the kids what we're doing and, you know, they'll come up for a yard. If we've got a group of kids or we've got kids that need to go home, we'll ring the bus and they'll come and get them. The community patrol has only been operating for two weeks and it's already been having a positive response from locals. Last week when me and Reynolds was working, we walked up here and... We know the lady to the shop up here. So we went in there and we had a little yard. I said, what, what do you do with this food here at the end of the night? You know? They said, oh, we throw it out. So I said, what if you, what if you give it to us? We can go and feed some kids with it. We fed 15 kids. 
Tonight, the same fuel station donates the food they can't sell and we join Kay and her husband Mark, who's also part of the patrol, as they go to an area of town known as Babbage to find some children to give it to. Oh, there's some kids over here. What do you boys up to? Are you hungry? You want something to eat? Here, take the, take the packet then, you boys. The Carnarvon Community Patrol is funded by the Aboriginal Biodiversity Conservation Foundation and Ms Mongoo says it has the potential to help the wider community. A couple, couple of unemployed people that we want to start to you know, help build themselves up as well, that we're waiting for their working with children's text to come through. Carnarvon Family Support Service Managing Director Andrew Muslin says a key support currently missing in Carnarvon is an after-hours youth accommodation facility. Overnight accommodation or emergency accommodation, it's, it's by no means a residential care facility and it, we are by no means wish, wishing to take children's, uh, people's children from them. Um, quite the contrary, it would be about you know, providing them with a safe place, feeding them, washing their clothes, giving them a meal, possibly sending them off to school the next morning or, or taking them back home. But there's still a lot of hoops to jump through there. But I think that one of the services that is, is, is missing and that is desperately needed is, is, is a youth hostel, somewhere safe for the kids to go. And if we could link them in with PCYC and the other government organisations that are working in that space, I think we could have a really good go of it and I think we could, we could make a big impact. Ms Mongoose says there could be further positive impacts if one was established. Through Nagala, where I work, my day job, we run a lot of programs for parents and families. It's so hard to get the parents to engage and come along and be a part of what we're offering, you know. I like to see um, something for the parents. You know, maybe we can get the parents to, if we get this youth space, we can get some of the parents to come along and, and, and join in and cook a meal for their kids, help, help supervise the kids or... Try and, try and get the parents involved. We'll be too old soon. We'll be ready to retire and let some new ones take over. That was Carnarvon Community Patrol member Kate Mongu and that report from Rosemary Murphy and Ellie Honeybone. Now to a story that pits rockets against surfers in South Australia. Plans have been announced to establish a permanent rocket launch facility at Whalers Bay at the tip of Air Peninsula, and it is seemingly causing a lot of concern. A nearby surf spot holds a special place in Port Lincoln mum Nikki Honeychurch's heart. You see, it was integral to her recovery from drug addiction. And so, as you might imagine, she's not all that pleased to hear about the nearby rocket launch facility. Jodie Hamilton reports. When mum of two Nikki Honeychurch paddles out at Fishery Bay, it takes her to her happy place. Each stroke pulls her into the deep, calming blue of the ocean. It's her therapy, and surfing has become a passion that's changed her life. But it wasn't always this way for Nikki. In her teens, she lost her way, spiralling into a world of drug addiction in response to a traumatic bushfire. I was just trying to block out a lot of trauma that I was holding on to. I went through the 2005 and 2009 bushfire that swept through Air Peninsula, so that affected me a lot. I was doing all these drugs, just tried to block it out and forget it all. My dad was had a farm at Coffeeo, and so he was out there with my grandma and my uncle Neil, and he was fighting really hard to save his property and all the livestock out there. Um, just really affected me knowing that 
he was in danger and putting himself in the middle of it all, um, that really scared me. When the 2009 bushfire came through, um, I was at work and Joshua was home and it was pretty much a bit too late when he had to leave. So he was in the thick of the smoke and um, just all that scary, just knowing if he was safe or not. Her husband was okay, but the trauma of the fire stayed with Nikki. I was like using it to the point, like the first thing in the morning, even before breakfast, I would have a smoke. That's how bad it was. And I just kept smoking throughout the whole day. I wasn't really living. I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't really looking after my health. I just wanted to stay home in my own little bubble. I was getting quite sick and mum started seeing a change in me. She actually went and found some help with a lovely lady and that was the boost that I needed. She was amazing. Um, she helped me let go of all this trauma and try surfing again. So it's been about 10 years now since I've been going out surfing and I haven't looked back since. I just like focus on my health and it's helped me make lovely connections with people out in the surf. I see a positive change um, how I connect with people. I'm more open. I'm just not hiding at home anymore and so I'm able to do things that I just never thought I would do. She's worried a proposed rocket launch facility at nearby Whalers Way might see her beach haven closed. I would hate to lose it all if this rocket development um, went ahead. I think it's crucial that we try and protect this little land that we have left and the threatened and endangered species that live there. Another thing that's even scary is the bushfire risk. I don't want to be trapped out there if another bushfire was to happen. Lloyd Damp from Southern Launch says the company will work with the authorities to ensure public spaces are not impacted by rocket launches. So a launch from Whalers Way requires up to 32 different state and federal approvals. These approvals cover everything from the operations on the site, um, from, from a safety and a handling perspective, all the way through to all the different environmental approvals at both a state and, and a federal level. It's a very, very rigorous, very robust process that our company has had to follow to make sure that we have all the relevant government departments approving of the, this activity. The current plans uh, for the site uh, don't encroach upon Fisheries Bay. Uh, we'll be working with state and federal government agencies uh, to ensure that the public is not uh, unduly affected by any future plans from the sites. They are awaiting state government approval to build a permanent site following test launches over the past two years. Our hope is that before the second half of this year we're able to return to Whalers Way and help our partner AT Space re-attempt their launch attempts from the site. And that was Lloyd Damp from Southern Launch ending that report from Jody Hamilton. Wildlife carers in West Australia's southwest have rescued hundreds of baby black swans stranded on the ocean this summer. It's not an uncommon conundrum, but the problem seems to be worsening. And carers are encouraging the public to lend a hand. This story that you're about to hear 
is from the ABC's Ellie Honeycomb. She's explaining how the signets are getting into trouble in the first place. These signets are among hundreds of birds rescued after being abandoned by their parents near Bustleton. The birds can't fly yet, and as wetlands dry up, they wander in search of fresh water and end up in trouble on the ocean. Susie Strapp is the president of volunteer group Fauna and has been overseeing the signets as they recover. Quite often they have um, burnt feet and they're starving by the time they get to the ocean. They join up in little groups and and hang together. So people think it's quite natural uh, to see the cygnets on the ocean, but there's nothing for them to eat and there's certainly nothing for them to drink. So if they drink the salt water, which they do eventually, they get salt toxicity and they get very sick and they die. Uh, We can't save every cygnet. But we'd like people to be looking out for them. Uh, We've had plenty of calls at 11 o'clock at night for a goose in the front yard. Not a goose, but as you can see from the footage, they do look a little goose-like. And if you see them in the ocean, it is correct to give your local wildlife organisation a call uh, so that we can organise a rescue if we can. If you see somebody trying to rescue um, a swan at the beach, try and help them um, because it's quite difficult to catch a swan on the water. This is not a new concern for wildlife carers. Urban development, agriculture and climate change have long been impacting wetland habitats and cygnets have needed assistance for decades. Mary McGregor Craigie has been caring for abandoned black swan cygnets since she set up the rescue service Fauna in the 1980s. I think it's never-ending because you get all the new generations who've never heard of this before Um, For quite a few years here with the natural environment, I used to take school tours. Did that for maybe in the 70s and 80s, maybe into the 90s a bit. Yeah, and that I thought was very helpful. I keep a letter from from a boy who wrote me a thank you note after his excursion here when he saw the orphan signets that I was looking after and his uh, bottom line was it was the best day of his life. Volunteer Brad Fish has spent most of this summer in his boat rescuing cygnets. You know, this year we were getting calls daily um, at one stage. I think the biggest group that we got was 19 uh, in one group. Um, And, what was it, New Year's Day? Well, it was Christmas Day, we're out, Uh, Boxing Day and New Year's Day. Brad spent most of his childhood exploring the wetlands with Mary, who is his neighbour and mentor. Mary McGregor is, was a massive influence on my life. And when you grow up around wildlife and you can appreciate, um, I suppose, how beautiful it is and how beautiful these birds are, or all animals and birds are, um, you want to give back. And, and it's through her legacy that's kept me going. And as long as I'm able... Um, I will keep going. That was Brad Fish, a wildlife volunteer, ending that report from Ellie Honeybone. This is Australia Wide with Adam Stephen this evening. Now we take to the sky to meet a bush aviator who's putting a new spin on the classic outback pub crawl by introducing an aeroplane to the mix. And Chris Calcino has the story. 
A few years ago, a veteran Outback pilot had a light bulb moment that combined two of his greatest passions into one unconventional package. Phil Hines loves flying and he loves Outback pubs, so he cobbled together a five-day pub crawl encompassing 11 Outback pubs across 4,000 kilometres and some of the farthest flung parts of Queensland, New South Wales and South Australia. You can walk into an Outback pub and you can strike up a conversation with anyone and the ringers, the, the station owners, the, they're all genuine people that find out where you've come from and what you're doing and start up a conversation. They're all great people and it's got, they've all got a lot of different characters. These airborne pub crawlers take off from Bankstown Airport in Sydney, head to Burke for a beer and then hop back on the Cessna caravan and wet their whistle at the family hotel in Tibberborough. Over the next four days, the journey takes them to watering holes in Inamika and Birdsville, Oodnadatta and William Creek, across Lake Eyre to Broken Hill, and then a beer or three at Tilpa and back home to Sydney. I used to do these charters as a pilot years ago, and I've also been doing the Outback Air Race, which uh, is on every three years, raising money for the Royal Flying Doctors. So when we generally cross Australia through the Outback in one direction or the other every every time it's on. So every time we'd take someone out there from whether it be from overseas or the cities, they couldn't believe how, how great the outback was of Australia and, and why they hadn't started looking at it sooner. It just inspired me to want to show people the outback. We actually launched our business and our website about seven days before the first COVID lockdown, so uh, we had quite a few issues you know, in the last couple of years. Yeah, we're getting going properly now. The clever idea also attracted the attention of one very notable Australian whose right-hand pace around the wicket could have rivalled the takeoff speed of a Cessna caravan at full throttle. Got it! Ben McGrath's got it! It's a leading edge, straight up in the air, and that's a hat-trick. Another good friend of mine, Glenn McGrath, who's also from the bush and uh, loves flying and loves the bush. He came on board not long after we started because another one of our sponsors is the McGrath Foundation and I rang him about that and he said, well, yeah, what are you doing? I, I might be interested in this. So He's been involved ever since. So um, Glenn comes on a few tours and he's actually coming on a tour in a couple of weeks, uh, pub, pub crawl on the 16th of March. So. Some of these outback pubs are a sight to behold, but even the quirkiest bush boozer can't hold a candle to the views exhibited by Mother Nature. We fly pretty well straight across the Simpson Desert, and anyone that's driven the Simpson Desert, which a lot of people do, you know, the 1100-odd sand dunes, it takes you know, several, three or four days just to drive that part of it. Lake Eyre is amazing to see from the air, you know, whether it's got water in it or not. It's, a, it's an amazing spectacle. Flinders Ranges, uh, there's so many really, and especially during COVID when, when they couldn't go overseas. We, we did get a lot of passengers that would generally go overseas several times a year. and They all would come back and say, didn't realise how good Australia was and why we didn't start looking at it sooner. It is a, a great job and um, I can highly recommend it for um, you know, anyone that wants to uh, get into aviation and get their pilot's licence. You know, becoming a bush pilot is, is a very good thing to do and if you do want to become a pilot, it's, it's a great way to get some experience flying out in the bush. And the biggest question, of course... Do the pilots ever get time to have a schooner themselves? We actually take two pilots, which we uh, offer as an added safety aspect of our tours. Yeah, we do take it in turns to fly, basically. So um, 
at the end of the hard day, it's um, zero flying an aeroplane, but you can have a yeah, you can generally have a couple of beers in the afternoon and be fine for the next morning. They're all different. Every pub we go to is different, but they've all got that same uh, outback hospitality. When you walk in there, you're not a stranger, and people come up and start to talk to you to find out where you're up to and what you're doing. And that report from Australia Wide's Chris Garcino. Big thanks to Chris, my co-pilot this week. It's been great keeping you company. While Sinead and Alex have been on special projects, they're back with Australia Wide from Monday. That's the program for this Friday. And remember, you can podcast the show or listen back to the program through the ABC Listen app by visiting the Australia Wide website. Over and out. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.